0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled, another episode today. Uh, Interesting one, this one. Um, Over the course of my um, 200 and so podcasts, I think the longest name I've ever had was, I think I had something like 33 letters. And today I've got someone with eight letters, Jane Shaw. What about that, Jane? I mean, that is, that's what I call efficiency.
1: I do, I, an honour to, to be uh, viewed as an efficient um, contributor for my letters alone. I yeah. like it.
0: <laughs> you've got a lot to live up now. You've got, to be, um, you've got to be very efficient, not use too many letters where too many would do.
1: I've I've been a recent uh, a very late adopter of the game, the new game wordle. I don't know if you've seen it, where you have, have to. Live up. So so you know, I'm I'm still not sure I've mastered that yet. So
0: which reminds me, I haven't done mine today. So as you get going, I'll start and I'll see how much <laughs> attention I can give you as we go. <laughs> well, tell us a bit about, about yourself, Jim. What is it, what is it that you do? Um, so I am a learning
1: and development uh, professional, very loose uh, description. I've had quite a checkered past, as I like to think of it. Um, I've worked in and around all sorts of organisations, uh, started out last century in the hotel industry, uh, then wandered into um, learning and development by accident. I think like most people, uh, was fortunate enough to work for a company that actually trained me uh, and uh, you know, started gathering qualifications. Um, I then went off to business school, did my MBA full time, got uh, about eighteen years ago now, which always amuses me when I realise that my MBA is essentially obsolete. But yeah. you know, it was fun at the time. Um, I did, that. Where did Where did you study it? Henley.
0: Oh, right. I was in Reading. It's around the corner.
1: Ah, OK. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was literally there when Reading were taking over.
0: So yeah, that's right. Indeed, yeah.
1: In, yeah. So it was, it was great fun. It was the international one. So yeah, off um, to yeah, all around the world. Uh, so after that, I did what a lot of people do after a Swiss executive MBA. I bought a pub uh, in Suffolk, um, which I, I tried to to run and build up. But, you know, life gets in the way and uh, led to divorce, had some mental health problems, didn't quite go to plan. So managed to shake that off and return into learning and development and then decided that the best route for me was to work as an associate. So I have now moved into a space, particularly where I'm known for working with senior leadership teams. Um, a lot around emotional intelligence, and particularly um, with I hold a, a postgrad diploma in coaching psychology. So I do a lot of executive coaching and, and group coaching as well. And I'm now uh, starting term two of my master's in business psychology at the University of East London as well. So, yeah, I, I get around a bit, I think is a nice way of putting it, Rusk.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a cute song, which I shall spare us all. Um... I mean it's interesting um, how many podcasts I do about uh, addiction uh, especially with alcohol I think you're the first ever pub own, uh, pub owner I've ever had. Tell us tell us a little bit about that world
1: it's uh, it's a gr- it's I actually think it's very similar to learning and development uh, but there's just alcohol involved you know you're facilitating a room full of people sometimes diverse some of them want to be there, some of them may not. Mm. Um, I also had letting rooms as well which was also another dimension. Um, but it was in a village, and there's something quite demanding about being quite, you know, quite a public figure. Unexpectedly, mm. I think, in in that kind of environment, which I um, which I didn't enjoy. I think that's why I like being an associate as well. I like the anonymity, interestingly. Mm.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but it was, um, yeah, it was very hard work. I think would be the other thing I would say for not a lot of money.
0: Really, I mean, the, I think the eight. What, did, was it your own place? There was a tide.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. So I was a leaseholder. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. People don't realise actually it is hard work and it's relentless, isn't it?
1: I think a lot of people, especially when they get to probably the age I am now in their
0: 50s, think, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Uh,
1: And what you don't realise is all the work that occurs when the doors are shut. So, I mean, I I love Real Ale and I still take great pride in, uh, you know, uh, the commendations I've got for the quality of my cellar. So, uh, yeah. Yes, it's. There's a lot goes on behind the scenes, yeah.
0: hmm. and um, and you sort of mentioned your uh, masters in um, coaching psychology. Tell me a bit more about, about that. Why is why is that relevant to executive coaching?
1: Well, the the coaching psychology uh, qualification for me was um, a deepening of knowledge and practice. So I'd originally uh, qualified as a coach back in 2003. Uh, with um, Peter Bluckett, who was one of, found, one of the founders of the EMCC and, um, and it, it, was, it was transformational for me actually as an individual, it just helped me uh, become more self-aware, really uh, raised so much for me in terms of my ability to empathise, to connect with other human beings, to really pay attention to them, to notice them and uh, that had a knock-on effect I think to the quality of what I was doing as a facilitator anyway but the, the coaching psychology uh, was through Leeds Beckett and um, I just, it, it, it's, it deepened the opportunity, I keep using this word deepened, but it's the only way to describe it, it's that mm. sense of enrichment, of um, understanding and, and being exposed to different perspectives on um, how to approach and connect with people. So, Um, you know it it opened up uh, access to or gave me information about psychoanalytical approach which I hadn't had a huge exposure to and decided it wasn't really for me I was much more drawn to the gestalt uh, elements um, but also links to somatic coaching which again was something new for me Uh, and uh, yeah it was just again another level of transformational learning and I'm, I'm a perpetual student basically so anything that puts me in the classroom and says, oh, some new stuff uh, makes me happy. So, yeah, it was... Yeah,
0: it's interesting, actually, because what you're talking about is the overlap between psychotherapy and psychology, really, isn't it? Um, talk to me about being a lifelong learner. I mean, people, I think, underestimate... Um, learning and resilience um i just wondered if you had a view i know you, we're here to talk about something totally different but it'd just be interesting your view I, I, i'm a happy
1: and am only a lifelong learner i'm a happy chatter as well russell so we're good um yeah so i think uh the learning for me is curiosity that's one of my favorite words and it's curiosity and i think um you know nothing stops me whether it be i love language i was very fortunate uh i you know i I dropped out of uni but I was doing French and Spanish so I'm always fascinated by sound and language and and how living languages are and how our words change and I think that the same is for everything I thought I knew about leadership and management 10-12 years ago has been reshaped reinvigorated in some way and I think those things are And one of the things that drove me to do the the Masters in Business Psychology was the realisation that as a learning and development practitioner, I was often being brought in when the decision had been made that learning and development was the answer. Mm. And I realised that as the person who had to physically do the delivery was going, yeah, this isn't what these people need. I need to be at the table when the decisions are made sooner. And I felt that, that occupational psychology was... Was one of the the roots in for that, and and that's again part of my curiosity. I think is just going, well, what's new? What's different? And how does that work? And how does that help help people? Help me? And that's that's probably the driver for me. And interestingly, back to your point, I guess about resilience, and you know, we could talk about growth mindset as a concept and things like that. It's yeah, it's it's that um curiosity to me. Is it's that right word? It's
0: yeah. I think curiosity is a good word, isn't it? It's. Um... Yeah. I think people have this lifelong learning drive. Mine's relentless, uh, mine's restlessness rather than curiosity. But um, um, but I think it's interesting to have these words at our, in our core in a way, don't they? Because actually it doesn't matter why you learn or, where, or what you're learning in a way, just the process of learning is so good for you. And it's, I mean, the, the, the benefits in terms of um, mental health are extraordinary, aren't they? Um, and it's just using your brain in a way that allows you to build... Capacity, I think, is, is something that's interesting. Now, you've gone the academical route, but there's no real difference between learning the uh, master's level or sort of more skill-based or vocational type learning, is there really, in terms of good mental health?
1: Oh, I totally agree, Russell. I think um, uh, there's a lovely, uh, something my parents told me about not long ago, which I hadn't been aware of, which is the University of the Third Age, yeah, yeah. which I think is a wonderful uh, concept where they're saying, you may have retired, but there's a wealth of stuff, you know, that other people don't know yet. Yeah. Um, why don't we all sit around and help each other learn? it? And I just think what a, you know, it's not academic. It's, you know, it literally is people, as far as I understand it, like <laughs> I could be wrong, but it's people going, here's stuff I learned doing what I did for years or something I'm really interested in and, and, and passionate about. Do you want to learn about it? Yeah. And people who obviously want to go along have that, you know, mental restlessness or curiosity or openness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think this is this is equally important to be learning as well as capturing memories, isn't it? And, and those those two things are really important in terms of, again, resilience, because it's that you have to have what you can't really have one without the other, I guess. It's an interesting point. Yeah. I thought of it like that, but I like it. <laughs> And so t- so now, the, when we first were chatting earlier, uh, you started telling me about your um, uh, thoughts on time management. And as, as a person who's famous for both lack of planning and excessive degrees of procrastination, I'm very interested to hear any of you <laughs> that says that both of those things will be candy in life. <laughs> you won't say that, but um, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed as we start this section. <laughs>
1: Well, I think uh, when we spoke initially and I was saying uh, there's a training company called Nine Dots Development uh, based in Derby. And I've been an associate for them for a number of years. And and I love what they do. They're quite a young team and they've got this huge amount of energy and enthusiasm for what they do. And they uh, approached me uh, end of last year and said, look, we've noticed that we've got this um, on the feedback forms that people submit after they've attended any course with us. We ask them what topics do you want to cover. Uh, you know what what next course would you like to go on and they said it's almost everybody's putting time management on we're thinking this is important you know could you do something with it and my "My answer was no I said partly because I don't believe in it I don't think time management um, beyond the you know productivity checklists is really um, a helpful concept I think it's broader than that I think it's bigger than that Um, And I think it's about how we manage ourselves in all of this and how we feel about that. Um, You know, we could. Yeah, there's lots of links to many different things. So this evolved into me. I'm using the word curating because I feel it kind of helpfully describes uh, selecting cherry picking. Um, a number of avenues for people to go down. So we've probably all been on some sort of time management course. And, you know, you get that initial rush of of enthusiasm to do a to-do list and to do the
0: planner and to find the fantastic stuff. Sorry? (laughs) Rocks and sand.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it works for some people. And I totally respect that. And I think that you, you know, recognise yourself. But if you're the kind of person that's still going, I've been on a time management course and I'm still a bit rubbish at it as I am, much like yourself by the sound of it, Russell. I am guilty of not being brilliant at it. I think there's other questions we should be asking ourselves about how we are managing ourselves in all of this. So we've developed it's free actually for people to just sign up and over seven days they'll get seven, probably about 15 minute uh, kind of activity or a link to something or something to read or a little video just saying, you know, think about this. Is this relevant to you and Mm. your attempt to manage time and I also think there's a much bigger context at the moment so there's also a question to ask why is it more apparent that people are asking this question now than they were three years ago Um, and of course I think for the first time let's reference the pandemic and COVID and the impact that it's had Um, and I think people are perhaps struggling to reset the boundaries of what's acceptable and how they work and what productivity looks like and how that gets measured and how they compare themselves to others and their productivity uh, and how they still establish credibility with their bosses or their boss's boss when there's been less uh, you know, informal presence uh, around and people aren't seen doing stuff as much. So I wonder if that's impacting it as well, which is...
0: Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I've I've i always rebelled against the idea of time management because I don't think we can manage time. So I think that's always been about task management for me, and yes. and therefore part of the thing with my background, the lean and you know all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's always about are you doing the right things and are you doing the right things well? And you know, it, it, in a sense, you're never doing nothing. It's it that's the thing that doesn't exist. So why manage time? Right? why not manage the the activity Mm -hmm. and then even if it's relaxing or if you're watching television you know that's just a task isn't it so you can fit it in or not and these are just choices you make and I I always find it interesting that it is called time management I've never really thought about it much until we just said it there but um I wonder if that's part of the problem because I mean you know we know all that we every every tool is about a task isn't it it's not about the time itself because time is I mean, how many thousands of training courses I say, well, the time's the same for everybody, but, you know, we know time we can go faster and slower. It's all relativistic, depending on what we're doing. <laughs> and I bet when you were, like me, when I was a musician, and I used to call it, it's, you know, the res- resilience union in a pub is saying as in, in the pit at Le was that you have to do the same thing every night. And it's utterly mm-hmm. tedious, actually. And there are some nights that just go really slowly, and some nights that just rocket past, don't they? And you're doing the same thing. So it is the task that matters, not the time, because the time must be framed by the task itself.
1: Yeah, and I think there's that's really interesting, isn't it? And I think um, the Ler and Schwartz book about engagement, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, uh, and they talk about, you know... Um, The the resilience piece, obviously, but we the fact that we need to disengage regularly to be engaged, which I always love that idea of saying, you know, sticking your head down and going, (laughs) I am a machine and I will focus for six hours and produce brilliant work. And it's actually no, you you need to have fun, you need to disengage, you need to distract your brain. Um, and that requires us to say it's okay to not do anything, to be distracted, to wander off with the fairies, to allow us to stare out the window and watch the squirrels as I often do sitting at my, my table in my dining room, um, and I think it's making that space, and I wonder if some of it is about giving ourselves permission as well in, in all of this getting tasks done, and it's interesting when you talk about lean uh, and, and you know, the focus on, on on tangible production of things rather than you know for a lot of people, it's huge Um, and how would anyone know? How have I contributed? What have I added? I mean, it's it's, there's a big question, so I guess this is what we're trying to help people think through actually is actually saying, you know, time to think
0: about this stuff, yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the point of lean is, is always said is it was about kaizen or efficiency i mean lean itself wasn't it was about are you doing the right things and i look at people who who are busy and a poor manager is inflicting more sources of busyness you know more rubbish into the working week most of which doesn't need to be done i mean i'm a real in you know, because of my experience with the burnout world you know this this idea, and when you go around and start looking at it, I'm sure you'll see it, especially with the exec coaching, the, the people who are the culprits for burnouts in organizations are the leaders who are inflicting inefficient, hopeless meetings on the workforce. I, I mean, there's the, 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 the fantastic, I forget the name of the, uh, the researcher They said that there's the body of evidence shows that the person that holds the meeting finds much more value and enjoys the meeting more than any other people in the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you other CEO or a dr- I mean sales directors were team with people in meetings. I mean what's that about? That's just such a waste and that and that for me is you know this is the these you know, the heinous leadership crimes which actually need to be really rethought. But, and actually <clears throat> I think the problem is that we're, we're sort of reingraining them with using teams because actually I think people are now becoming comfortable with the idea that time seems to be, a limitless resource because you're sitting at home, therefore, you must be in your pyjamas and you must be knitting and you know crafting and stroking the cat and doing homeschooling all at the same time.
1: Well, do you know it's so interesting? You said that I was um I was uh, on a, a webinar uh with, with Henley where I was at business school, and uh the one of the, the professor of the centre of leadership there, Bert Vogel, uh, was talking a little bit about um how everyone, you know, is talking about the, you know, are we going to get back to how it was? And he said, but, you know, yeah. people people weren't happy in February 2020 with the amount of meetings they had. And, you know, they were back to back. He said, the only difference was we at least we got a break because we had to walk in between meetings. He said, yeah. and now that's been removed. He said, I don't think it's about going backwards. It is about evolution and, and, and cherry picking what's come out of this that is good and then, you know, moving forward with it. And, and it is an opportunity to to reframe and reset stuff. And, and, and I thought it was such an interesting idea because there is a danger that everyone's going, oh, we need to get back to how it was. Yeah. And wasn't that great. People still weren't particularly happy. Yeah.
0: And actually, it's more challenging now because there's staff shortages left, right and centre. And um, I think organisations are now going to hit that. And this is the problem, isn't it? Poorly led organisations will end up carrying out the same processes, which is not the fault of the people, the processes, which actually produce inferior results. And then expecting people just to work harder at doing the wrong stuff in the wrong way. And then being surprised when people either walk away or end up with time with stress or whatever it might be. And people are slightly less, um, I mean, people are slightly more, I think, fragile after COVID. That's my, my thing. They're either being stretched to the point of, um, they're frazzled, or there's an underlying frazzle, or there's an inbuilt anxiety that's, or they're just, they're just ready to break, you know. And I think it's people are, people are in a state where now they're just not going to put up with so much rubbish. Uh, but, you know, no one's informed the leadership world because of course we're all still busy leaping around talking about your hey, empowerment, engagement, all the last century stuff. For goodness sake, let's get it. I mean, you'd mentioned one of my and Noir characters earlier. I just managed to stop myself shouting at you at that point. (laughs) But um, there's so many old ideas out there, you know, such poor ideas. I worked with uh, a lot of leaders in Africa. And, um, you know, what we foist on leaders in Africa is 60-year-old management theory from the West. And then we're surprised why it doesn't stick or doesn't work. And I think there's a fundamental idea that we need to be re-examining. Leadership in the you know it's it's a it's a fungible process now isn't it and yet we don't think about it that way and somehow we've got to reset all these ideas. And
1: you know, it's one of the things that struck me. uh, It's an old, I believe it was Gary Hamill who obviously has been around for years, but I'm sure it was him who said um, something along the lines of there is a mismatch between what science knows and business does. And I think there's a really interesting, now I'm back in academia, mm. and you're seeing the research papers, the evidence, etc., versus the organizations as a practitioner that I go into, and what they are looking for, tolerating, allowing, or perpetuating, as you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and you sort of go, well, so whose responsibility is that? Because academia might be slightly guilty of keeping in its own ivory tower a little bit, um, and yeah, as you say, what about the leaders and their responsibility to be open to, to change? Uh, and, and, but I think, you know, that's a big job, isn't it? To, to, to change cultures. And yet I was listening to Paul Polman the other day, cause he's just written a, a new book. He was the ex-Unilever CEO for 10 years and you've got him and um, uh, he's talking about, you know the humanization of organizations of, you know it's not profit at any cost. And I think it's Gary Hamill's just written the book, Humanocracy. So there's, you know, there's a groundswell of quite significant influence, influence, yeah, what's the word? Influential is the word I was looking for, um, kind of thought leaders who are trying to say leadership cannot continue in the way that it has done. And partly, I think to your point, again, about the extent to which people are frazzled. One of my friends who I saw at the weekend is quite senior in the NHS. And he was talking about, um, so he heads up teams that look after uh, or go into uh, hospitals that are in, you know, poor state, you know, got very low rate rated in terms of performance. And he heads it to you know, the other project teams, go in to try and address what the issues are. And they include leadership in that as well as other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was saying, he's, you know, anecdotally, it felt like people are always talking about, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm too busy. And he said, but if I think back to uh, when we were trying to source PPE, he said, and people were working 18 hour days and, and people were really busy. Yeah. He said, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, no, you're not. How can you say you're busy? And I was going, hmm, lack of empathy there, slightly concerning. But the other side of that was, um, are people so frazzled that they feel they have to explain themselves in some way? I am busy. Look, I'm busy. I feel busy. And um, so where is the resilience that
0: allows, again, to your point, I guess. It's an interesting. But it's but it is, it is fascinating, isn't it? I, I love that I, the example. Um, Tony Crab wrote, wrote a book years ago. And um, I, I interviewed him here, and he was a very charming guy. And I remember him saying that um, this must have been this was this must have must be 10 years ago. No, anyway, whenever it was. I remember him saying that when people meet each other and used to say, hi, how are you? And we used to say, I'm fine. And now we say, I'm really busy. And I th- and it stuck with me. And, and you and you notice it now, it's like a badge of honor now. So I don't think people are busy at all. I don't think they're pretending to be busy. It's just, be- it's become the pastime response or the ritualized response before we pastime, time. Uh, and, and instead of talking now, the pastime being about, ty- about being fine, it is now about being busy. And it's just become a, a badge of honor to be how, be how busy we are, isn't it? I mean, I- talking to a colleague earlier. We're supposed to be meeting up later on, and he can't make it because he's too busy. And I just said, no. Well, it's up to you. It's just a choice, isn't it? You've decided to do one thing against the other. Don't pretend to be busy. You just you're just deciding something else is more important. Um, and it's I think it's the honest where we've lost this sense of honesty, uh, and that's that's a shame.
1: And I wonder, but but then you say that, and it is you're saying it. It is really about making a choice. But I suppose the question is. How do people feel able to make those choices? So again, I think there's something about um, how confident or comfortable people feel saying no or pushing back. Because um, there was a lovely term uh, and, I, and sort of resonates a little bit with something you said earlier. But this, um, the fragility of trust in relationships, because it's been so Zoom based for so long now that we don't have the the robustness of a connection. It feels fragile. So i think you're right i think there's very probably it's a badge of honor thing but i also wonder if it's um a fear of of you know saying i'm i'm okay or i'm coping or you know is somebody then just going to pile more onto you
0: <laughs> so well, and i think that's a really interesting point because there's no evidence that would happen i just think there's evidence that if you're not in part of the zeitgeist somehow you're not you're yeah. not you're not part you're not taking part in the grand myth which is everything ain't it awful? It's the old TA driver, isn't it? The old um, game to enter door point, broke and um, and that stuff. And I do think it's quite astonishing, you know, when people will say, how are you? I, I will say, gorgeous. That's my normal thing, because it's faintly tr- not true. <laughs> but it's it's good to say, because it just disturbs the status quo. And I, um, I do think we're all in this sort of narrative at the moment, which is just a very dull narrative of it's all broken, it's all busy, into terrible And I think there's a need here somewhere that's just not being met, which where we actually have to behave this way. And I think it's because we've lost the sense of accountability. We're no longer treated like adults. And so we're responding like children. And I think there's a whole thing in the zeitgeist about that. And even to the way the legal frameworks and leadership management work, uh, I think that's that's a challenge. But that is the subject of another podcast. Usually when I'm a guest, I was going to say, it makes me want to ask you questions now. I really uh, you, like... You have your own podcast, so <laughs> you can ask whatever you want. <laughs> Look, you and I can gossip all day. Uh, and, <laughs> and I'm really sorry for taking up more of your time on the show. How can people get hold of you and find out what you're doing and what you're offering and what you're about?
1: okay so um, they can contact nine dots uh, development.com and they are going to be launching this very soon and you can sign up and it will be an opportunity to say just once a day a little uh, link will drop into your inbox and it will have uh, a little voiceover introduction from me and then a little activity and and as I say to me it's um, positioning it as a curation of possible avenues that might just sort of scratch the itch of why you feel you're not on top of your time management or is it time management at all so it's a little bit about uh uh, perhaps different avenues you might not have thought for yourself you may have visited once before but hadn't had them all in a row seven days in a row just to give you uh, yeah as i say for those of you that are perpetual students perhaps something to learn from
0: brilliant and of course to get hold of you serious Serious SeriousD.co.uk? Yes,
1: my company is called Serious
0: Developments.
1: And uh, because, of course, I'm incredibly serious, uh, that was the thinking behind that. And my website's at the moment, seriousd.co.uk. Yeah.
0: Very good. I, I did think it would be Serious J, but. What can I say? I mean well, that would be am, more efficient, you know, but I'm not social media advice is, is ten a penny here because it's always so terrible.
1: Rasta, <laughs> this is a gift to me. Thank you, because I'm I'm literally re uh, redoing my website and, and relaunching it. So perhaps I need to repurpose my domain name. Thank Please you. Please come
0: to me for completely irrelevant and useless advice whenever <laughs> you fancy <it. laughs> You're on LinkedIn and all the socials and such like that. I am, you'll find me at Jade Shaw,
1: development on
0: LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, Jane, it's been absolutely like talking to you. It's, um, it's, it's, it's always one of those things when you hope you're going to spend your whole time fighting with each other, but actually end up agreeing. And, and thank you so much. I think you've really added some some sort of uh, fuel to the fire in the debate. So thank you very much. And we'll go thank onwards you. and upwards in our world of business psychology. Thank you Triumphing with, with all before us. Uh, whatever that verbal all meant. <laughs> so just uh, seriostd.co.uk, Developments, Facebook and Twitter, you can find Jane Shaw. Jane, thank you so much for being with us today. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcasts for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.